Let's dive in tonight to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. Um, If you've probably heard a message on Ezekiel, it was probably this passage. So Ezekiel chapter 22, and uh, we're going to look at the man in the gap from Ezekiel 22. This, This passage in particular is what God used to call me to the ministry back when I was a teenager. And so I thought it was very fitting to preach this message tonight for all of us. Before we get started, though, there's someone in here that needs prayer, and that is our pastor. Uh, If you don't know, Pastor Holmes has issues with his lungs and from his chemo treatments from long ago, and he's having some issues right now. So I'm not going to ask you all to go around, because if you're like me, you may give him up something else. So how many of you tonight would say, by raising your hand, hey, I'm going to pray for Pastor Holmes this week? Just raise your hand. Pastor, you got some prayer warriors in here that are praying for you. And so I mean it tonight, you pray for your pastor. Even during my message, you pray for him. That God will heal him of his lungs that he's having right now. And that God will also completely heal him so he doesn't have to do this again. God can do it. We serve that big of a God. And so I encourage you to pray for our pastor. As you can tell, there you go. Proof in the pudding. All right, Ezekiel chapter 22, the man in the gap. This is a challenging passage. Um, Because I think sometimes... We're like, okay, yeah, I want to make a difference. Here in Ezekiel, God is very clear that when he was looking for someone who would do something for him, he didn't find anybody. And I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 30. We're going to read this first, and then we're going to kind of look around here at the passage. This is what gets me. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I don't know about you, but that is awful convicting. And so let's look at what is going on here in Ezekiel chapter 22. For us to understand this and what's going on, if you pay attention, there's an and at the beginning of that, meaning it's tied to the previous verses. And so we are going to look at what's going on in the nation. Remember, this was not written to us here in America. Okay, this was written specifically about the nation of Israel. They were going to be taken away captive because of their wickedness. So let's break this down here, this passage, and let's understand that the situation, which is point number one tonight, the situation is a situation we find ourselves in today. God said in in verse number 30, hey, I'm looking for someone who will stand before me for the land that I might not destroy it. He says he finds none. Let's look at the situation that is going on here. The first people we want to look at is the leadership. For us to understand the situation, when God says, hey, I'm looking for a man, the first place you would often look is what? Someone who's an authority, wouldn't you? It makes sense. So let's look at verse number 25 at the first group that God says about this nation And their wickedness. Look at what it says here. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. The prophets. I want you to understand, for the nation of Israel, the prophet is someone who would declare God's words. God would tell them something, and they would say it. So think of Isaiah, think of Jeremiah, those kind of guys where God would say something to them, they would just be the mouthpiece of God and go, this is what God said. That was their job. 
Here we see that these prophets were wicked, wicked people. They were destroying, they were devouring. They, it was very clear that these people were not good. Look at verse number 25 again. There is a conspiracy for prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. Who else is described as a roaring lion? The devil. I think that's pretty powerful for us. We've got to get this. Look at the next statement. They have devoured souls. The very people they were supposed to be ministering to, they were destroying. They have taken the treasure and the precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. This is not me saying this. This is God. How on earth did that happen? I don't know, but these were wicked, wicked people. If we jump down to verse number 28, we see again another statement about these prophets. Her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. This is so important for us to get. They said, This is what God has said when God had not said anything. Do you realize today that that is happening? There are churches tonight that may be saying, hey, it's okay for homosexuals to marry. Do you realize that? Do you realize that there are people in pulpits across this nation who don't even preach the gospel at all? I mean, they don't even pervert it. They don't preach it. Do you realize that this is a situation we find ourselves in today? And I wonder tonight if God is asking you, will you be that person who will make a difference? But that's not where it stops. In verse number 26, our same passage, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 26, we see the priests. Remember, the priests in the nation of Israel, they were executors of God's worship. They did the worship of God. They would be the ones who sacrificed. They'd be the ones who take care of the temple and the tabernacle. These people were very important. Look at what it says here in verse number 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. That's a big statement again. For us here in America, we don't really get it. But when this statement was made to anyone who knew what God expected, this was a big deal. God is very clear that they have profaned the holy, the holy things. They made no difference between the holy and the profane. If you remember the temple and you remember the different things that God placed in them, there was a lot of things that were very different and they all had purposes. Obviously, these people were, again, very wicked. In the last statement, I am profaned among them, we find that God takes it very seriously when his people disobey his laws. Do you realize that tonight, if you are living in sin, if you have unconfessed sin, God takes that very seriously. So often we're like, well, I live in the age of grace. Yeah, you do, but God still takes that very seriously. Why is the Old Testament so important, Dan? Because the Old Testament reminds me that God takes sin very, very seriously. Usurping God's authority, is that a big deal? Yeah, it is. Remember the sons of Korah? 
God opened up the earth and swallowed them. Big deal. Is it a big deal if I do not obey my parents, if I rebel against their authority? Yeah, God tells us that that's worthy of being stoned to death. It is a big deal. Is it a big deal that you go over and over and over again? It's very clear that it is a big deal. Remember Achan? It doesn't seem like it's a big deal to take some clothes and to take a little bit of gold, does it? Yeah, it is. God killed his entire family. It is a big deal. For these priests, these executors of judgment, they have violated his law, and God says it is wickedness. Hmm. The princes are the next ones that God calls out in verse number 27. These are executors of God's judgment. That's really why God places people in authority in government. In verse number 27, her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and destroy souls to get dishonest gain. Do you see that today? I do. They've destroyed lives by their decisions. Right? They've taken dishonest gain, things that they did not deserve, that they didn't earn, and they take it for themselves. As God is listing this and Really, throughout Ezekiel, God makes some statements, and he makes it throughout the book. But here he's talking about a nation that is absolute overrun by wickedness. I don't think you have to look very far to see in America today, in our state, that we are overrun by wickedness. Pastor brought something up Sunday morning about issue one. We are overrun by wickedness. Is there anyone in here tonight who will say, God, you're looking for somebody. You don't have to look very far. Then with the, he doesn't stop here, though. He lists all these people that are in authority. And in the grand scope of things for the nation of Israel, this would have been a very small group. Right? This wasn't everybody. This was a small group. It's the prophets, the priests, the princes. It's, it's limited. But then he makes a statement about the people. This is a general statement about the nation of Israel and what they were doing. The people of the land have used oppression, verse number 29, and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Do you understand what's going on here? They have oppressed both their neighbors and the stranger. They put them underneath their thumb and gone, okay, I'm going to take advantage of you. And that's not at all what God intended. I want you to understand, I I didn't include these verses, so David, include them, please, if you could put this up. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. We see something with Jesus when he says, when he is asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What do you think is the biggest thing that we should follow? By the way, they're all important, okay? But when Jesus was asked this question, this is what he says in Matthew 22, beginning with verse number 37. 37? Oh, maybe not. Oh, there you go. Okay. Jesus said unto, the, unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, which he wasn't asked, by the way. Jesus goes, hey, you're probably wondering what the second one is. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
Do you think Jesus is very clear? Yeah. yeah. When he is asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? First of all, you got to love God with everything. Second of all, you got to love each other. The nation of Israel would have known that God commanded us to love our neighbor. They would have known that God commanded us to love him. But obviously, it went from, it never went from here to their heart. And all of us tonight, we may say, okay, I know God expects me to love him. I know he expects me to love others. But I'm telling you, there is something different about it being up here and it moving down. So often, we get in trouble because we know a lot of stuff and we don't do anything about it. They knew exactly what God expected. And their choice was to oppress their neighbor and oppress the stranger. They knew what God expected. There wasn't any reason to not. But they oppressed. They have vexed the poor and needy. This was not God's intention. This is not what God wanted. And yet this was happening. This was prevalent. Do you understand today that people live... For number one, that's all they live for, for themselves. It's not easy to find. It's not easy to not find. Well, it's easy to find. That's what I'm looking for. It's easy. It's easy to find. You don't have to look very far to find people who are interested in themselves and not anyone else. That cannot be us. I was talking to Barry before the service, and so often what is missing in churches is that we just don't love. When Jesus was talking to his disciples shortly before he died for our sins, he said something to them. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Do you realize that the distinguishing mark between us and the unsaved is our love? Here for the nation of Israel, obviously, they were not concerned about that. So let's go on from the situation and let's look at the search. God's search for this man. This man that will make a difference. So look at verse number 30 again. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I want to, I want to draw your attention to a couple statements here. The first statement I want, you to, I want to bring your attention to is I sought for a man. What's the next two words? Among them. Do you realize what that means? This is someone that was living for God in a wicked world. Do you realize that's possible? You don't have to give in to the temptation of the world. You don't have to live a defeated Christian life. You can have very real victory. Do you understand that? So often we go, well, I have a besetting sin. So? I think sometimes we need to move beyond that one and get to the next one because there's something else deeper. Right? Have you ever been studying the Bible and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was there? Anybody? I didn't know that 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 sin was around. Yeah, that's what happens. We study God's word. We go, wow, man, there's a lot of issues here. If you can go through your life and you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Dude, get into the word. You're not doing as good as you think you are. You're just not. Get into the word of God. Understand it. But I think this goes beyond just someone that was living for God in a wicked world. This also speaks of someone that knew the struggles of others. Why is God seeking for a man among them? 
Because this person would have known what was going on. So often in churches, I can't say this is harvest, but many churches, people struggle and no one knows. They go through life and they're like, man, I'm struggling with this besetting sin. Do you realize that there are some people in here that may have already gotten victory over that sin and they can give you real help? It's so important for us to understand that everyone in this room has issues. Right? Can you all agree? Shake your head. Come on, I know it's Wednesday night. Yes. Okay. We all have struggles. So you can come here and you can find real help. Why does God say, and I sought for a man among them? Because it's someone who is living for God, but also someone who understands the struggle. But then the next statement that should make up the hedge. This this speaks of make up a wall. I can't remember what the book is, but there was a a, a program that I listened to. Lamplighter Theater, it's really cool. And talks about, I I can't remember what the book is called. I think it's called Hedge of Thorns, if I remember right. I was listening to it, and I'm like, dude, I got to listen to it again. It was really good. And it was going through. And it's like this kid that's trying to get through the other side and kind of pushing his way through, and he can't. So he gets his little sister who's smaller than him, which is what every brother does. I did to my sister. But... So he gets this hedge. He starts hacking at it, doing all these different things. He gets his sister and starts pushing her through. His dad finds out about it. And, like, stops it. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pulls her back out, you know, puts all the salve, all that stuff on her. Then takes the boy outside, puts him up on his shoulders, and looks over the hedge. And he goes, you know why this hedge was built? Because on the other side of this hedge is a cliff. So often we want to push through the hedge and try to do different things. And the reality is, is that God wants you to make up a wall and say, you know what? No. No. We're not going through this. And that wall may not be a physical wall. It may be you standing in their way. I think so often we're like, well, the world's a wicked place. Yeah, it is. But there are a lot of Christians that can be a light. There are a lot of Christians that can say, no, this isn't the right decision. No, I'm going to put up that sign in my yard. And people may not like it. I don't care. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to vote. And I'm going to tell other people why I'm voting this way. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up. I'm going to make up the hedge. I'm going to make up the wall. I'm going to make a difference. But that's not where he stops, is it? Look at the next phrase. And stand in the gap before me for the land. This is someone that would plead for the mercy of God. Someone that would share the truth without fear. Here's another passage that I did not give David back there. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. There are several times in the Old Testament where we see someone really standing in the gap before God for the people. This passage is a really, really cool one. Because oftentimes, who do you think of when you think of someone standing in the gap? Abraham, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. When he pleads with God and he says, hey, would you destroy it for all these people? Here's another time with a guy you may not expect. Do you have it yet? Ezekiel 32, beginning with verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Do you see that today? Uh Uh-huh. 
Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and will make of thee a great nation. Basically, God is saying, hey, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to restart with you, Moses. Many of us would be like, sweet, I got this, right? Not Moses. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against my people. We'll talk about that in a second. But remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have spoken of, will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit forever. Look at this statement. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto this people. I want, to under, I want you to understand something first of all. The evil is not evil as in bad. Okay? I want you to understand this. God does not do evil. Right? God cannot be tempted with evil, neither. He doesn't do evil either. So this is the affliction. The, the thing that he was thinking about doing. Okay? Destroying the nation. Repenting is simply changing his mind. He went from, I'm going to destroy them, to now I'm not going to destroy them. When we see this man in the gap, the person that will stand in the gap before God, this is what God was looking for. Someone that would plead for God's mercy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is easy for you and I to say, God, okay, destroy our nation. They deserve it. They are wicked people. They, They are not serving you. They're killing babies. I'm just going to let you destroy them. We need to ask for God's mercy. Why? If God wiped out the the nation of the United States tonight, there would be a whole lot of people that would die and go to hell. Do you understand that? We need to pray for peace in the Middle East because there's a whole bunch of people in Hamas that are going to die. Hamas is not going to be successful wiping out the nation of Israel. I want you to understand that. Read, the old, read, the, read Revelation, the nation of Israel is still around. So God, they are not going to win. But there are people in Hamas that need Jesus. Do you understand? It is easy for us to go, yeah, destroy a nation of Israel. Wait a second. I don't want this war to go on anymore because there, there's people in the nation of Israel that are dying and going to hell. And there are people in Hamas that are going to die and go to hell. And if Iran joins in the fight, there are going to be people in Iran that are going to go to hell. we got to understand that this is bigger than my feelings. It is. This is life and death. And we have got to understand that it is bigger than what I want. So often it's like, well, they deserve it because they're just violent people. No, they need the gospel. That's what they need. We, we have got, we've got to get this. There are people that make bad choices, right? We understand? But they need Jesus. I can't tell you how many times as I was growing up that people are like, well, oh, that person's not going to accept Jesus because look at him. How arrogant of us to say that. Think about right now the person that shared the gospel with you. Just think. I guarantee you it's different for all of you. The person that shared the gospel with you, what if they didn't care at all and they didn't share the gospel? Where would you be? 
Not here. We've got to get over you and I going, well, they deserve it. Because it's obvious here in Ezekiel 22:30 that God is searching for someone. God desires for someone to ask. God desires for one of us to get up and go, God, please give us mercy. We don't deserve it. But God, we, I am asking you to intervene. Hey, just give me a space. Give me time. I want to make a difference. I want to go. I want to share the gospel. Please, God, please just stop. That's what we should be doing. But so often we don't care. And I know that's harsh. But I can say that with certainty because we don't share the gospel with our neighbor. We don't share the gospel with our coworkers. We don't share the gospel with the people at the drive through We don't share the gospel with anybody. We just don't care. God is very clear that he desires for someone to stand in the gap. It is very clear that God says, hey, I'm asking for someone who will stand before me that I might not destroy it. That was his desire, just one person. The saddest part, but I found none. I can't say that's the saddest part because we got one more verse we got to cover tonight. But God doesn't just say things and then not act. God doesn't say, hey, I sought for a man among them that was standing in the gap, but I found none. And not act on what he was going to do. Look at verse number 31. The solution. What does God do here? Therefore, because I couldn't find anybody, have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed under their heads, saith the Lord God. Does that break your heart tonight? It should. Because he couldn't find anybody, not one person to stand before him. He poured out his indignation, his fury upon them. I want you to understand at this point, God hadn't done anything yet. When he says this here in Ezekiel 22, he, he hasn't destroyed them yet. But when God says something is coming, you can take it to the bank that is coming. When God says something in his word where it is a prophecy, the things that are going to happen, they're going to happen. That's why I can say with certainty tonight, Hamas will not be successful. Okay, they're not. Fury, God's indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. He has destroyed them. Look at this next statement. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads. They are getting what they deserve. Church tonight, here's the question we've all got to ask ourselves. What about you? I think some of us tonight, we really honestly, before God, we relate to those earlier verses. We're the ones that should be declaring God's works. And in, other, in, in reality, we're the ones that are living contrary to everything that he said. We have said, hey, this is what God has said. And we haven't looked at his book. And we don't know what this says. And we're saying this is what God has said. And it doesn't match up. Some of us, we got to get in God's word and understand what it really says. Others, you have profaned that which God calls holy. Ouch. 
Do you realize tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you? How have I profaned that, those things that are holy? You have taken the Holy Spirit into places you should not be. And you have filled your mind and your heart with things that he should never be in the presence of. It is very clear in God's word where he says, hey, your body's not your own. He has every right to tell you how to live. Some of you are places of authority. Some of you are bosses and other things. And are you someone that is destroying things that God has placed you over? Or are you just the people that are oppressing your neighbors and the stranger? You're not sharing the gospel. You don't care. You mistreated the poor. You don't care about them either. Some of us need to understand that if I'm going to be the one in the gap, man, I can't be one of the people that are out of the problem. If I'm going to be the person that's going to make a difference, I can't have all these issues. Some of us tonight need to do some real business with God and say, God, I want to make a difference. But right now, there's no way I'm going to. I've said this to our teams over and over and over again. If you want to make a difference, you have to be different. You cannot be the same as everybody else around you. And some of you tonight need to surrender to what God has called you to do. For me, when God first started calling me to preach, I didn't want to do it. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't want to do it. I had a pastor that looked perfect. He had everything going. Everything was perfect. His beard was perfect. No, he didn't have a beard. I'm just kidding. Everything was perfect. He stood up here. Everything was perfect. His children were perfect. Everything was in line. And I'm like, that's not me. I've got struggles. And so when God first started calling me to preach, man, I, I really struggled with that. I'm not like him. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like my youth pastor who, man, dude, nothing stinks about this guy. There's nothing wrong with him. And it took God working in my life to saying, hey, I can use someone that, as my grandpa said, was a little awkward and still is. Yeah, God could use somebody like me. I want you to understand that you may be different tonight, but God can use you and he wants to use you. You may never be a pastor. You may never be a pastor's wife. So what? God wants to use you. And some of you tonight, you may feel useless. You're not. I really, I really, in my heart of hearts, feel like God is asking someone tonight, what about you? Will you be that man? Will you be that lady? Will you be that teenager? Will you be that younger than a teenager or older than a teenager? I won't call you which one you are. Will you be that one? I think the saddest part of this entire passage is the last four words of Ezekiel 22. Verse 30, but I found none. I wonder as he seeks this auditorium tonight, is he going to find one? Will he find two? It's not going to be the majority. It's going to be the minority. Will God, can God count on you to stand before him for this land? Man, our nation is messed up. Our nation is so far from God. It has called the things that God has called unholy, holy. And he has said, hey, you who do not like it, you are the one that's wrong. Baloney, that's not the truth. That's in the Hebrew, by the way. It is very clear that God has said some things that do not match up with our culture, and you are going to have to fight. 
Do you understand that? It is not going to be easy. Looking at some teenagers in here, it is not going to be easy to do what God has called you to do. But faithful is he who hath called you, who also will do it. Everyone stand, let's close in a word of